what is going on guys welcome back to the whole nine draft podcast thank you guys so much for tuning in today i hope everyone had a happy holiday season merry christmas to those that celebrated um that got to see their friends and family over this holiday weekend i took the week off um as you guys noticed there was no draft log this week or podcast i wanted to spend time with my family um, I also did have to work Christmas Eve, which was the Tuesday that I normally would have sat down and recorded and released the show. So it was a combination of things. And, um, you know, I just, I just wanted to take time to spend time with my family, which I think is very important, but, uh, welcome back guys. I do appreciate you guys stopping by and listening. we got a great show for you. Hope you guys do enjoy the audio. Hopefully it is a little bit better than the past. I got an upgraded mic. Um, I treated myself with some of my Christmas money. And got a new mic, the a UM nine hundred mic, um, by Uru. So hopefully you guys do enjoy the um, do enjoy the do enjoy the show and do enjoy the audio quality. Hopefully it is better than it has been in the past. Hopefully the pop filter on it will uh, get rid of the echo and we'll be able to sound nice and good for the show. We got a great show for you. So, in the spirit of giving, as we just did past Christmas, and now that we know the playoff teams, I'm going to go ahead and give each playoff team a Christmas present from Josh. And that is the draft prospect that they need going into the playoffs that would put them over the top. Okay? So, we're going to go ahead and do that. Plus, I'm going to unveil to you guys my first official quarterback rankings. Again, nothing is official, but I figured we're going to slowly go position by position. As things start to get set in stone with the quarterbacks, we're going to go 15 to 1 in the quarterback rankings, or 1 to 15, whoever I decide to do it. But I do appreciate you guys once again for stopping in. If you do not already, follow me on Twitter at JoshBerg0611 or follow the podcast at WNDraftPod. Go over to Whole9Sports.com and check out any and all articles that are over there. I've got two draft logs, one about the Senior Bowl, the other is about the insane depth in this year's wide receiver class we also have bowl preview and prediction articles written out by a lot of our contributors and we also have a latest mock draft that got released yesterday so we have got a lot of content over there and go ahead and follow us on twitter at whole nine sports on twitter thank you guys so much for getting us to 500 followers on twitter we do appreciate the support the amazon winner was announced on christmas eve so we do um Congratulations to the winner of that. We'll be doing more uh, similar stuff. Try to get more fan interaction from you guys the further along we go. So don't you worry if you missed out on that one. I'm sure we'll have other opportunities for different contests and things in the future. But um, let's take a quick recap of the of the weekend before we jump into the main segments of today. Um, Joe Burrow is... Still really good at football, guys. Uh, seven passing touchdowns in the first half, eight total touchdowns in a throttling of Oklahoma on Saturday night. They uh, the the offense was rolling. Justin Jefferson completely upped his stock. He is in um, round one of my latest mock draft and bumped up to wide receiver four on my board. Based on that performance alone, obviously I did like his tape to begin with. He was wide receiver six. But now he's bumped up to four, so good for Justin Jefferson. Joe Burrow looked good, as always, and Jalen Hurts did not. Now, I want to touch on Jalen Hurts real quick. I never was a big Jalen Hurts guy, but I saw what a lot of other people saw, which was a 
uber athletic, really talented, athletic, smart player um, with limited arm upside. But he had he he had that leadership quality that I think a lot of teams would have fell in love with. And then he came over, played this LSU team, and completely uh, got annihilated. He looked like he was uncomfortable. He looked like he didn't know what to do. He looked like he wasn't uh, used to throwing the football is basically what it was. Um, I remember one point he was 4 of 14 for like 37 yards or something like that. And then he was like 5 of... 15 for like 100 and that was because it was a cd lamb long touchdown so um if you didn't have cd lamb that game would have been a lot more ugly than it already was so we'll see how it impacts his draft stock he's currently my qb7 right now on my board after i dove into more tape and we'll like i said we'll go into the quarterback rankings a little bit later in the show but what i find is crazy and maybe it's just me, is that Joe Burrow, when he's out there, he just has this it factor. And it's it's something that I haven't seen in a very long time. Um, he looked out there, he was comfortable, he was able to throw the ball wherever he wanted to throw it. He made some really good throws on the run, he was able to place the ball perfect. It was just a near-perfect performance, if not perfect performance from Joe Burrow. I never thought I would see the day where the backups would be put in the game in a college football playoff for both teams. Both teams took out their starting quarterback. There was backups for LSU skill position players. So it was an extremely... I was sitting... I was over at Evan's house watching the game, and it was extremely, extremely difficult to watch Oklahoma play football um, other than C.D. Lamb. So that was really a huge... Game And then we had the other game, the Clemson-Ohio State game, which was a really good game. Um, both quarterbacks played extremely well, both Lawrence and Fields, but Fields obviously made the, the two mistakes. He had one t- interception to 40 touchdowns his entire the entire year and then throws two interceptions in the college football playoff. Trevor Lawrence can make all the throws. Um, he is as good as we all thought he was going to be. Travis Etienne ha- had his speed and explosion on display for everybody. Um, and Jeffrey Akuda is really good, and so is Isaiah Simmons. I mean, these guys are top top prospects for a reason. They're highly touted for a specific reason. They're both inside my top five on my big board, obviously, with Simmons and Akuda. So they were they were two completely opposite games. One was a complete blowout. The other one was more of a nail biter with a lot of a lot more suspense. But it was a good weekend of college football with the college football playoff games, and then we had the NFL where we saw Miami defeat the Patriots, the Titans clinch the final wild card spot, and the Eagles win the NFC East. So now your playoffs are set. In the AFC, the 1-2 seeds are Baltimore and Kansas City, with 3-6 matchup being New England and Tennessee, and the 4-5 matchup being Houston and Buffalo. And then the NFC, your 1-2 is San Francisco and Green Bay. Your 3-6 matchup is my Minnesota Vikings. will be traveling to New Orleans to take on the Saints, and then Philadelphia will be hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Um... It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm watching a lot of these press conferences, watching some things kind of unravel. It's going to be a crazy January for sure leading up to the Super Bowl in February. We've got some draft news as well as two big-time players that had 
late round one, early round two upside, both went back to school. Dylan Moses, linebacker out of Alabama, announced on Instagram yesterday saying he is returning to Alabama for his senior season. Now, I thought this was more um, likely than unlikely because he, he uh, Saban has been trying really hard to get his underclassmen to come back for their senior season to get one more big run with this extremely talented core of players, uh, Judy Ruggs, Tua, Moses, Xavier McKinney, the whole shebang. This, this group was extremely talented. And he's trying to get them to come back. And Moses has suffered a torn ACL week one. Hasn't been able to play all year. He would want he wanted to go back to school to finish some unfinished business. He wanted to rewrite his story. So he'll be back in 2019. And excuse me, in the 2020-2021 draft class. And be playing college football for Alabama next year. Another one was Marvin Wilson. Interior defensive lineman for Florida State also announced on Twitter that he was going to be returning to school as well. He was someone that was kind of floating in the early second, mid-second round. Um, He was like kind of consensus defensive lineman anywhere between four and five. Um, He obviously had the the two big ones with uh, Brown and Kinlaw, and then there was this section in the middle where it was, you know, Raekwon Davis, Neville Gallimore, Justin Medbuki and then him. So it was kind of, he was in that second tier group of guys. And he returned back to school, which I think is good for him because he was kind of one of those names that kind of started the year off hot and then kind of fell off late in the year um, and kind of hurt his draft stock a little bit. So him going back to school will have a chance to re-up the stock for sure. But what this does for the draft class, it's going to push a lot of guys up the board. Um, because now, in my opinion, the two weakest position groups in this entire class were linebacker and interior defensive lineman, and now they both lost two prime targets for teams. You look at linebackers now after Isaiah Simmons and Kenneth Murray, there's not a whole lot there. Troy Dye is a name that I like. Malik Harrison is a good player, but they're not round one, not even maybe not even round two type players. Both going to be in the range of the late round two to mid to early third, fourth round. Um, Monty Rice, Patty Fisher, these are just these aren't any big time names. So it's really gonna be carried by those first two in Simmons and Murray who are likely going round one, Simmons maybe even top ten. And then in the defensive tackle position, Derek Brown's a consensus top three, a top five player in this um in this class. I don't think that's any dispute. And then Javon Kinlaw is one of my favorite players. Excuse me. One of my favorite players in the entire class. After that, you're gonna have steady big man Raquan Davis. And then there's another drop-off. It's a lot of question marks with upside. I like Justin Madbuki, but he's kind of an unknown. Now, Gallimore's a good player. Leaky is good, but he seems limited in what type of schemes and uh, ways you can use him. Jordan Elliott out of Mizzou and Rashard Lawrence out of LSU, again, are solid players, but they're going to be mid to later round guys that you want to target late day two, early day three. So it's it's really kind of took a hit. So what that's going to do is that's going to push some guys up the boards at other positions because they know those positions. Once those guys are gone, they're not going to want to reach for position of need there. They're going to go best player available. So it's going to change how some teams attack the draft, and I think it's just going to create more intrigue. Um, I've got some uh, I've got some stuff for you guys. Uh, my latest draft log this week is going to be an in-depth version of the big board. I decided I want to do big big board version 2.0 for you guys. Since this college football season is officially accumulated and I've watched a lot more tape and a lot more things have changed 
as far as my opinion and viewing of players. So that's what's going to be this draft log in-depth analysis on my first top 100. Every single player, and I do mean every single player, is going to have a summary attached to it as why they're ranked where they are. I'm going to go super in-depth on it. I'm going to get started on it right away so it can get released this week. It is going to be amazing. So, that is really what's kind of happened these past couple days in the sports world. I think we should get right into it and give out our Christmas presents here. From me, Josh Berg, to the playoff teams. We're going to start in the AFC, in the sixth seed. We're going to go six to six to one here in the AFC. Starting with the Tennessee Titans, and I am so nice. I gave these guys the best player in the draft, and that's Chase Young. Um... And the reason I'm doing that is because you look at this team, Harold Landry's a good player. They need someone opposite of him that can really disrupt the quarterback. And especially when you're going to be going up against Tom Brady, you got to find ways to get in the backfield. There's no better player in this draft than Chase Young. And that means that there's no better player at rushing the passer than Chase Young. He is somebody that has an insane amount of speed, strength, and athleticism that I have never seen before in a player. He's better than Nick Bosa. He's better than Joey Bosa. He's more explosive than both of those players as well. You put him on Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans could make a playoff run here. They've got the offensive weapons now. A.J. Brown seems to be cooking. He had the least amount of receptions among the top five uh, rookie receivers, and he had the most yards. So he's been a monster. Derrick Henry's steamrolling, right? Offensive line's pretty good. You got LaJuan Conklin. On the tackles, you need someone on the opposite side. Even that corner, Adore Jackson's a good player. You need someone to uh, to get to the quarterback. So I gave the Tennessee Titans Chase Young here. I think, I think there's no better player. If, if honestly, honest to God, if Tennessee has Chase Young, I might have I might pick Tennessee to win. And that's not me hating the Patriots. Um, Brady hasn't played well. They just lost to the Dolphins. The Tennessee Titans are a way better team than the Dolphins. And I know that the New England Patriots in Foxborough is a completely different animal, but especially in come January. But it's there's some questions for it, for sure. So their opponent, Tennessee's opponent, the New England Patriots. This one's kind of interesting. A lot of these guys are top-tier guys, top top-name guys. Um, there are a couple that aren't, but this is this is definitely one of them. I give, I'm giving them Bryson Hopkins, tight end, out of Purdue. You look at this New England Patriots offense. They've got playmakers on the outside. You've got Edelman and Nikhil Harry. Philip Dorsett is a deep threat, so they don't need Henry Ruggs. What they're lacking is a tight end that can really make plays. Um, they really haven't found that since Gronk left. And Brady likes to utilize his tight ends. He always has. Bryson Hopkins can plug and play, start at tight end, go down the middle of the field, and create a bunch of mismatches. Um, and it would give Tom Brady another weapon that he can use this season. He's kind of he, Tom Brady has been average at best this year. He's not had any flashy games, and he's had a couple stinkers. Um, the best way to neutralize that is to get him some more weapons. Bryson Hopkins is a weapon at a position of need. And tight end, which I think we all can agree is the number one need for the Patriots coming into the season, uh, this draft season, whether they take a tight end round one, I don't think so, but it's a big need for them. Bryson Hopkins can plug and play and be that tight end down the middle. Moving on to the other 
AFC wildcard first round matchup. We've got the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Texans. I'm giving the Buffalo Bills my wide receiver one, and that is C.D. Lamb. Big, explosive playmaker. Not going to wow you with speed and times at the combine, but he has an incredible ball-tracking ability. He's a deep threat every single time he he is running down the field. He can shake loose and make a play. And the Buffalo Bills, their number one need this offseason is going to be finding a playmaker that's in the draft with this deep class sitting at whatever pick they're in the mid-20s. Or if it's uh, going after one in free agency, they've got to find someone. They are finding their guy here in C.D. Lamb. Next, Houston Texans. We know they need some offensive line help this season, but I don't see any offensive linemen that are really worth, you know, like taking and being like, yeah, this is going to be the difference maker in the playoffs. So I went the opposite side of the ball. I went Christian Fulton, corner. Um, a lot of their corners are a little bit rusty, older. Jonathan Joseph, um, Bradley Roby hasn't been great. So they're going to get Christian Fulton, a big time technical corner. So the Buffalo Bills get CeeDee Lamb and the Texans get someone to cover him. In Christian Fulton. Now, what about your bye week teams? Your bye week teams here. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I could have given them AJ Epinesa, but I gave them Yudigros Matos over Epinesa. Not because I like Matos more than Epinesa. I just think Matos has a better ability to be able to stand up and rush um, and play like an outside linebacker role more so than Epinesa, who I think is more of a tech hand in the dirt pass rusher. I think that's what Matos is too, but I think out of the two, I think that Matos is a better opportunity to be a stand-up pass rusher more than Epineza and the Ravens could always use an extra pass rusher. Their roster top to bottom is like pretty insane, um, but getting another pass rusher is important as well. And the Kansas City Chiefs, I gave him Isaiah Simmons. Like I said, this is one of my favorite players in the entire process, in the entire draft, and they need help at corner, so I was thinking about giving him a corner like a Nadebo or a CJ Henderson, but Ward's been good. They've got some other pieces in the secondary. I want to give them a front seven playmaker, and that's Isaiah Simmons, who not only can be a playmaker off the edge or as a middle linebacker, but you can also put him in the secondary and be help patch up the holes there. Whether that's at uh, corner or a single high safety, so... I think that the t- the player that would have the biggest impact on the on the team, the way the team is structured, would be this one right here with Isaiah Simmons in Kansas City. If they get another playmaker on defense with the athletic ability and range that Simmons has, plus his insanely high intelligent coverage skills for not just a linebacker but for a player in general, he that that could be game over for any team, especially if the offense is clicking. So, based on these awards. Based on these Christmas gifts that I've given to them, my pick out of the AFC would be Kansas City. As it is right now, I'm going with Baltimore because Lamar Jackson is just that good. Moving on to the NFC here. Uh, the 3-6 matchup, the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. So how I did this, in case you guys are curious, I didn't just go through and just give my favorite team my favorite players, right? So I went by record. Um, and by seeds. So I did the six seeds in both the AFC and the NFC first, then the fives and the fours, and I worked my way up. 
And it wasn't just based on, okay, best player. It was based on position of need and best player available at combination. So the Minnesota Vikings, I gave him Jeffrey Akuda, corner out of Ohio State. The best corner I have scouted since Jalen Ramsey. Now, as a Vikings fan, I know that it's no secret that Xavier Rhodes has completely fallen off a cliff this year. I think he has the highest, has allowed the highest percentage, uh, quarterback completion percentage when thrown at him this year, close to 85 or 86%. It's ridiculous. He's been horrible. Plug and play Akuda, take Rhodes off the field. You have Akuda, Waynes, and then Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander as your nickel and dime corners. And now you've got another playmaker on the outside that can go up against the receivers. Someone's going to have to shut down Michael Thomas. I think Akuda would have the best chance at doing that out of the corners, including Xavier Rhodes. Their opponent, I'm giving the New Orleans Saints, Henry Ruggs. You've got Michael Thomas, who's been an incredible all-around receiver. He's been phenomenal to watch all year. He's now more of your underneath open field receiver. And then you're going to have Henry Ruggs that can take the top off. Fastest player in the entire draft. He can go vertical, and the Vikings don't have the speed at corner that can keep up with him. So that's why the Saints get Henry Ruggs there. The 4-5 matchup, I'm giving the Seattle Seahawks Derek Brown. I would have given him a running back, but they signed Marshawn Lynch, and Marshawn Lynch is playing Seem to be looking okay this past weekend. Um, they need someone on the interior that can be a disruptive force against the run. And in the past, there's no better versatile threat on the interior than Derek Brown. He's got finesse moves for days, like a spin move. His spin move is filthy. Uh, Mike tweeted this out earlier today, and I saw the video, and I went, damn. Like This guy has got insane finesse moves. He's got incredible speed for his size. He's got strength and power. He is just one of the most perfect players in this draft class. He's currently number three on my big board behind Young and Burrow. So he's he's incredible. And then the Eagles. Oh, Philly. It's no secret that you guys need some help at wide receiver. Greg Ward shouldn't be your wide receiver one going into the playoffs. But he is. I'm giving you guys Jerry Judy. The most clean route runner in the entire draft he can be Carson Wentz's security blanket down the middle of the field and he can get you in space for yak yards um that is the direction we're going I went with Judy over a guy like LaVisca Chenault because I think Judy's just more polished overall player even though Chenault could be more explosive and used in different ways speaking of LaVisca Chenault though I gave him to Green Bay because similarly to the Eagles the Green Bay Packers need more playmakers on the outside. Obviously, they have wide receiver one, Devontae Adams. Let's get someone you can use in a bunch of different ways. You can get, Matt LaFleur can get creative with play calling here. LaVisca should not climb up in the slot. Can be your end-of-round running back, a wildcat quarterback. He can do a little bit of everything. And now you can force defenses to have to game plan around him because he's got different skill sets and can be used in different ways. He reminds me a lot of Percy Harvin out of Florida when he came out and obviously... Until he had the concussion issues, he was an explosive playmaker in Minnesota for sure. And then number one, San Francisco 49ers, I gave him Grant Delpit. Um, the second, This team, again, similar to Baltimore, is top to bottom, an insanely deep roster with a lot of great talent and not a lot of holes. One of the holes on this team is high-end safety play. Grant Delpit can be a free-roaming, single-high safety, a box safety he can do a little bit of everything. He can rush the passer on blitz coverages. He can also line up in the slot man-to-man. 
He's just someone that I think that the Niners are going to be able to use in different ways and neutralize anything that's coming at them because if you now have Delpit roaming around the middle added with that pass rush, quarterbacks are not going to have a lot of time to throw because the the pass rush is going to be you know, at them within two seconds and they're not going to have anywhere to throw because now you have that extra defensive back roaming around. Based on these needs, these gifts, my NFC Championship game would be San Francisco-Seattle again, and I would have San Francisco being the victor. Um, so based on these gifts, I'd give San Francisco and Kansas City would be my Super Bowl. Um, in real life, I think it's going to be San Francisco and Baltimore. So that is that for me. Before we get into my first official quarterback rankings, I want to give my opinion on the head coaching carousel that's been going on in the NFL. So, it's no secret that there, we've got a couple different head coaching uh, openings. Washington fired Jay Gruden earlier in the year. Ron Rivera got fired by Carolina. After that, Pat Shermer was gone for the New York Giants. Freddie Kitchens is gone in Cleveland. And we can assume Jason Garrett is as good as gone in Dallas. Um, some of the big-time head coaching names that are being rumored out there are Josh McDaniels, Matt Rule, Mike McCarthy, among some other you know lesser-known names like Kevin Stefanski. Um, Washington has agreed to a five-year deal with Ron Rivera this morning. He officially signed it. They were in negotiation with it the last few days, but they finally came to an agreement you know, today and signed it. This is an incredible get for Washington. Then I'll get a high-character culture builder to change the complexion of their entire roster and team. He's an incredible team builder, an incredible team leader, and if you don't believe that, look at how bad Carolina was after they fired him. They went from being kind of relevant, kind of in the playoff mix, in the hunt, to completely falling off a cliff. And that, you know, some of that had to do with quarterback play. Obviously, when you have Kyle Allen and Will Greer at quarterback, you're not going to uh, be able to, you know, play at a high level. Um, but they completely fell off a cliff as soon as he left. Now he's plug and play in Washington. They need a new defensive coordinator. It looks like he's going to bring in Jack Del Rio, which would be another insane get for this team who got rid of Bruce Allen there seemed to be on the up and coming um, as far as I don't want to say roster because the roster still has a lot of holes you've got your franchise quarterback you've got what seems to be number one receiver in Terry McLaurin and you've got some nice pieces on the front four like Matt Ioannidis Jonathan Allen Montez Sweat now it's time to go fix the other places you pick in two take Chase Young then go around rounds two three four five six build the secondary get another linebacker maybe another receiver opposite of McLaurin. And then obviously you need a left tackle to replace Trent Williams. Um, but Rivera is a, is a good culture builder, high character guy, a zero built, a zero bullshit type of head coach is just going to want to get stuff done. I think this was an insanely good hire for Washington. And bringing in Jack Del Rio as a DC will just put it over the top. Heading on over to Cleveland, they fired Freddie Kitchens. And Matt Rule already has opted to not interview for the position. So you talk about a crapshoot in Cleveland. You hired a quarterback's coach as your head coach. He goes 6-10 and 10 when there was Super Bowl expectations from some people. I said 8-8 eight and eight was their ceiling. They went 6-10. and 10. 
Um, you fire Freddie Kitchens, and now the best head coach on the market, presumably Lincoln Riley is staying in Oklahoma, won't even interview for your position because your organizational structure is that much of a mess. Um, there needs to be a change as far as positional power. Paul DePodesta seems to be knowing what he's doing. You need to let him have a little bit more control. John Dorsey's got to get this head coaching hire correct. I think Mike McCarthy is the best way to go. Um, he's a grown. They need a grown-up guy who's going to keep all of their personalities in check, um, including Baker. I think because Rivera is gone, McCarthy, this seems to be Mike McCarthy's job. But he's also rumored to be going to interview with Carolina, so that'll be an interesting spot to go to. If they don't go Mike McCarthy, Kevin Stefanski is a name that is something to be, you know, looked at. He almost got the job last year before they went to Kitchens. He's having a really good year calling plays in Minnesota, and they can run a very similar style offense. Run heavy with Nick Chubb, play action pass with Baker, Jarvis Landry, and Odell, it can work for them. Baker Mayfield doesn't have to be slinging the ball 40 times, and it will limit his turnovers. Cousins, I think, had six interceptions all year this year. He's been really good. So that's, that's one way to go. Plus, he can hold. He's a grown-up. He holds people accountable, and he can keep his personalities in check. So I think those are names to look out in Cleveland. Um, the Giants, I think Matt Rule's going to go to the Giants, and I think Josh McDaniels uh, stays in New England again, so Carolina's going to have to figure out what they want to do. Matt rules on the short list for Carolina and the Giants. He's going to interview for both positions. And Dallas has yet to announce whether they're keeping Jason Garrett or not. Um, his contract is expiring January 14th. We can assume that he's going to be let go today when they meet. Um, follow me on Twitter at JoshBerg0611 for immediate reaction if that does happen. And they haven't... Uh, you know, been looking at coaches. They haven't been announcing interviews or anything like that. So either they know that they know um, who they want to hire, and they've gotten feedback from that person, or that coach is coaching a playoff team. Now, there's been rumors circulating around from the media and on Twitter that Mike Zimmer is a prime candidate for the Dallas Cowboys, and that the Vikings could fire Mike Zimmer. Um, as a Vikings fan, I think this would be absolutely idiotic. Mike Zimmer has been one of the best coaches in the entire NFL. So if the Vikings fire them, that's just horrible organizational structure by Minnesota, which they're not known for. Mark Spillman, really good GM, drafting players, and uh, the Wolves' very team-oriented, family-oriented owners. So if they were to get rid of Mike Zimmer or trade him to Dallas, that would be absolutely horrible. Um you know, you look at all these guys giving Zimmer crap for not winning a Super Bowl in his first five years. Bill Belichick won his first Super Bowl in his sixth year. Andy Reid. And uh, I, had, I had the stat in front of me. I lost it. But a lot of these older coaches didn't win the Super Bowl in the first couple seasons as being a head coach. Doug Peterson is an outlier, right? Tom Coughlin took some years to win a Super Bowl. So... The, the notion that he needs to win a Super Bowl or he gets fired is just beyond me. They're, the Vikings are the only playoff team that would contemplate firing their head coach. You look you look up and down the list. Maybe the Houston Texans with Bill O'Brien, but they've consistently made the playoffs under him too, and he's not exactly a schematically schematic genius. Mike Zimmer's a pretty damn good head coach. But 
he is being rumored to be in circulations for the Dallas Cowboys job. Jerry Jones has massive respect for Zimmer, loves Mike Zimmer. Um, so I don't see, I don't see him leaving, but it could be under the realms of possibility. Another name to watch out for Dallas is Urban Meyer, for sure. I think that he's on my short list for a couple teams, but Dallas I think would be the one job he would actually consider taking. Um, that's pretty much my take on the head coaching gigs. If I had to rank the openings, I would have gone, um, Carolina one, Dallas. I think Dallas is two mostly because if you go to Dallas, you're not going to have as much power as you want because Jerry Jones is going to be kind of running things. Uh, three would be the Giants. Four would have been Washington and five would have been Cleveland. Based on right now, and obviously not not everyone's been fired yet. Uh, Doug Marone was announced that he's going to be coming back for 2020, but that would have been a job that could be opened. Um, you know, you're looking at a lot of these. It's weird. A lot of these teams. Obviously, Matt Patricia was also announced that he is returning. So was Dan Quinn. So at Atlanta and um, Detroit isn't going to open up. Cincinnati's not going to fire. Zach Taylor, Miami, had a good year under Brian Flores. Anthony Lynn's not going to get fired. So you could be looking. Adam Gase with the Jets is the one to look out for. Um, Other than that, I don't see a lot more openings opening up. Um, Adam Gase is the one name to keep an eye on, especially after his press conference when they talked about Le'Veon Bell. and He said, talk to Joe about it. I'm not personnel. Says a lot what he thinks about the players. But... We're going to move on to the main segment of the show, guys. Unveiling my quarterback rankings, 15-1. to 1. For these first couple guys, I'm not going to have a lot to say. Um, because it's a lack of film watch. Or it's just their lower-end guys are going to be drafted 7th, 6th round. Not going to be worth noting. Um, guys, outside my top 15... Excuse me. Um, 20 is Kelly Bryant. 19 is Khalil Tate. 18 is Tyler Huntley, who actually could end up being a riser. On my board, 17 is Kellen Mond. And 16 is Mason Fine. Um, Those are the guys that are outside. Right now, I've looked at film for 20 quarterbacks, and those are the 20 that I've ranked. And now we're going to get into the top top 15. 15 is Jake Lutton, quarterback out of Oregon State. Um, he's someone that's got a big frame. He's 6'7", 230, and he, he has a big, he's a big guy and has decent mobility, um, for being 6'7", 230, you're not expecting a guy that can move around a lot, but he can move a little bit. He's got good arm mechanics, good instincts. He's got an ability to stay calm. And poised in the pocket when faced with pressure, he's able to um, maneuver his throws in traffic to get to his receivers. But he has an average arm. He doesn't have a lot of zip on it when he does place it. Footwork isn't great. He um, he's not a progression passer. He's just, he's he's very he's not someone that you want being a franchise quarterback to put it lightly. He's someone that's going to need a lot of development. He'd be like a career backup type player. He he goes a lot. First read downfield, 
and then to his check down guy. He's kind of a quick, quick read guy. If that first read ain't there, just flip it to the running back, let it do his thing. But he is 15 on my board at quarterback. Number 14 is another guy that I think could rise. I've got two guys that are outside my top 10 that could be pushed into my top 10. I mentioned Tyler Huntley, who's at 18 right now. Um, but the film I liked, I the film that I saw, I did like. His bad film was better than these guys ahead of me that was that was bad film. Like Steven Montez is in here. Anthony Gordon's in here. Tyler Huntley's bad film was better than their bad film, if that makes sense. So they could be pushed aboard. And the other one is my number 14. That's Brian Lewerke. Um, quarterback out of Michigan State. He's someone that has really good zip on the football. But he also can throw with touch a lot well, a lot better than some other quarterbacks. He, ha- he, can, he knows when to find this happy medium um, where he's got to zip it into tight coverage or just lob it over the top. He's very good at that. Um, and he's got really good footwork for the most part. He's mains balanced and poised in the pocket. Um, the problem with him is that he needs to be put on a strict game script. So if the game script's going good and he's flowing, he's going to throw the ball really well and make good throws and, you know, use his arm strength to fire downfield. When he's not, um, he'll rush through his progressions. He'll try to do way too much creatively instead of just making the smart play. And he will make boneheaded mistakes. He'll make mistakes that you just look at it and you go, why would you even think? He he has those Jacob Eason um, mistakes a lot. Um, I watched his film last of last year's game against Michigan where he was 5 of 25 for 66 yards. That's an issue. That if You can't, you can't have games like that. So he's got to find a way to stay on script to stay calm, make the right plays, even when the game script doesn't call for the plays to be made, you guys still have to make the right plays, and stay consistent. Um, like I said, he's got really good arm strength. He can zip it downfield for sure. He's just he's more of a mental processing type of guy that's going to need some work. Uh, next is Steven Montez at 13 out of Colorado. Um... He's very inconsistent. His taste is very inconsistent. His arm strength is there at times. Um, his mechanics are not great, but he's someone that's got an insanely high upside. Um, he's got the frame, 6'5", 230. He's decently mobile for sure. Um, he can extend plays really, really well, but when he's outside the pocket, he becomes more of just a runner as opposed to trying to look downfield and continue to make plays. And that happens with a lot of these um, young quarterbacks. Is their first read's gone, and if they have mobile once their first read isn't there, then they're just going to become a runner, as opposed to uh, trying to make plays with their arm while maintaining the look downfield. They just don't have that capability. They haven't developed that skill. Um, he's not very accurate. Uh, I talked about how his arm strength is good enough to get downfield. He can really push it sometimes. But the placement is really bad a lot of times, causing turnovers, bad throwaways, overthrows, underthrows. It's really a mixed bag with him. Um, 
he's not he's not someone that again you, that you need to push out there and say hey just go make plays. He's got to be on a strict game script. First read, second read, they've all got to be laid out for him. And he doesn't get past that first read a lot. He looks at the first read, it's gone. Instead of progressing downfield, he'll escape the pocket and try to run. He's got to be able to stay more poised in the pocket, stay sharp looking downfield, and improving vision. Number 12 is someone that a lot of us expected to be rising boards this year, and he kind of had a really rough go of it, and that's Cole McDonald out of Hawaii. Um, Big frame, strong arm. 6'4", 220, can push it downfield. Um, their offense is a lot of quick run and go. What I mean by that is he, it's a, it's a, it's a run and shoot offense. Snap, go. Um, he, not afraid to take chances. Big time fearless thrower. Um, he can push it downfield. But because of he is such a fearless thrower... He makes mistakes, and similar to these other two quarterbacks I've talked about, he runs in a rhythm game script offense. The game script goes off plan or his rhythm is off, he'll make plays, he'll start to unrattle, and will not be consistent. Um, Similar to Josh Allen a couple years ago, he'll just miss throws, you know, accuracy-wise, he'll just have a wide-open guy and just completely miss him, won't place it anywhere near the vicinity. Um... And I think it's because his mechanics aren't great. You watch him throw. His release point is often inconsistent. You know, at times he'll release it too high and the ball will sail. Other times he'll play, have it perfectly and it'll be a perfect throw. So I think he's going to need someone that will be able to work on him with his mechanics. Um, and throwing motion. And staying set. Number 11 is Anthony Gordon out of Washington State. This is someone that I'm not as high on as a lot of other people are. Um... Some people really like him. I'm not one of them. Um, he's he's really, really athletic. Um, the and he's in the air raid offense. We can sling the ball downfield. The problem is, and I watch this a lot when watching him. His first read's gone, and he'll continue to escape the pocket. And when he's in shotgun and snaps, there are a lot of instances and. I believe it was Alex Katzen um, from Hole Nine. Think that sh- that pointed this out to me, and I watched it. You know, and it happened in multiple occasions in multiple games when I went back through and watched. He's in the shotgun. He'll snap the ball, and he won't take a drop back. He'll just stand there. He he won't be on the balls of his feet. He won't take a drop back. He just stands there, flat footed. Um, that's an issue. That's a mechanical issue that needs to be resolved. Um, he doesn't have a lot of safe throws. He'll make a lot of ill-advised mistakes. Um, he's, again, another guy that needs to be in a strict script, told what to do. He can't read the defenses particularly well. And that, again, that's the case with a lot of young quarterbacks, but I can't grade, oh, because well, everyone does, it means it's okay. You know, it just means it's another layer that needs to be improved on. Um, I'm a very hard and critical grader when it comes to quarterbacks, especially. My highest quarterback grade last year was a second-round quarterback. That's just how it was. My QB 1 and 2 were Drew Locke, Kyler Murray. They both were second-round quarterbacks for me. I was, I'll was, admit I was wrong on Kyler. I was really wrong on Kyler. 
It happens. We all make misses. He was one of them. But with quarterbacks, I grade extremely hard because it's the most important position on the field. You need to be near perfect in everything that you do or it can screw your team. So obviously I have my concerns with Anthony Gordon. Like I said, I like the athletic upside for sure. And he's got a good arm that is displayed well in the air raid offense. Um, but the decision-making, the lack of mechanical IQ, it's a, it's a pause. It's a cause for concern for me. Moving in at number 10 is someone that is kind of going under the radar, which I don't quite understand. Like he's like QB like 15, 16, 17 on some boards. And that's Jamie Newman, uh, quarterback Wake Forest. He is a big guy, 6'4", 230, really good release, um, good body control. He's someone that can make plays with both his arm and his legs, and he can throw both touch passes and zips in between coverages. Um, The issue with him is Wake Forest recently switched over to a more run, a type of zone read. So it's a lot more slow developing, meaning Newman's taking a lot slower footwork and dropbacks. Um, And it's normally used as more of the running backs to kind of control the flow of the game. They're going to have to, he's going to have to be able to change it into progression style quarterback play and go quicker and develop faster in his dropbacks and his progressions. Um, He is involved in a scheme that only uses one side of the field, whether it's the left or the right. He only, his eyes are only in one direction. So again, he's going to have to be able to kind of pan it to both sides, um, he has done he's done a pretty good job this year. He's a really good passer. Again, he can quickly scan coverages, but he'll only look at the one side of the field when he's doing so. So he's gonna have to almost open up that other side of the field. Um he's not he's not exactly a guy that's going to be scared to go run the run the ball. He can make plays with his legs. Um but he's just gonna have to develop more into a more complete passer from an IQ standpoint with progressions and just understanding the mechanical uh, part of the game, taking the full drop back, looking around the field, bringing the arm all the way around. But he's he's an intriguing prospect that could be a mid-round guy, like round four, round five, that can really make a difference if he develops. Um, number nine is Shea Patterson. And this one is disappointing for a lot of us because we came in thinking he could be a mid-tier quarterback and he disappointed a lot the first half of the year. Um, He's someone that's got a really quick throwing release, which I think is important. You've got to be able to get the ball out quick. Um, He is... He's someone that can move very well. Harbaugh was able to adjust his scheme to fit more of a running style. A lot of more designed runs. Kind of similar to the way they use Colin Kaepernick when he was in San Francisco. Um, he he can run on his own. The problem with him, he he's not someone that can shake off a mistake and move on to the next play. When he makes a mistake, whether it's a bad throw or an interception, 
you will start to unrattle and spiral out of control. You watch full games, full game tapes of him will make a mistake, and then the next four or five throws will be poor, ill-advised throws, and he'll continue making mistakes until he doesn't. Um, he has bad awareness as far as sub-packages on the defensive side of the ball. He's unaware of pass rush when it comes in the pocket. He doesn't have great arm talent, but he pushes his arm thinking that he's got a Josh Allen type arm. So he will underthrow or overthrow a lot of them because his timing isn't right. He's someone that's a developmental project. He hasn't progressed and developed the way that most people thought he was going to. Um, you know, again, when he came to Michigan, he was supposed to be this really good quarterback. Struggled, continued struggling. He's someone that, again, is another mid-round project that someone's going to have to be able to kind of unrattle. Number eight is Nate Stanley. Now, Iowa is known for developing pro-style quarterbacks that can just be good backups. C.J. Beathard is a name that instantly comes to mind. Not super great at really anything, but because they come from a pro-style offense, NFL-type protections and schematics, he is one of the very few college quarterbacks that worked under center the majority of his plays, and he's a traditional pocket passer. He goes in, he can he can change protection and audible, he's very high IQ, He's got good arm strength down the field at times. It's not great. It's not great. It's it's average, but he can place it where he needs to place it. He's not over-athletic, but he's got really good accuracy in places. Uh, and then he's a big-time leader. That's, he's your stereotypical Iowa quarterback is how I can describe it to you. C.J. Beathard was the same way. If you guys were scouting when Ricky Stanzi was at Iowa, he was the same way. So it's just... Kirk Ferentz continuing to turn out these same guys. They're going to turn into backups for a few years, and they're kind of just going to keep on going. And that's what Nate Stanley is. I like him a little bit more than I liked Beathard. Um, Most of guys think he's got better arm. But, again, it doesn't say a whole lot. But, again, he's someone that, again, third, fourth round talent. Again, develop as a backup. It's not the end of the world. I like him a lot more than others as far as I would probably take him over Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts just because I think he's safer. Um, that That's my personal opinion. Speaking of Jalen Hurts, he comes in at number seven. This, this game against LSU really hurt him. He was around the five. He was kind of in the discussion with Eason and Fromm in that middle tier for me. I'm not as high on Jordan Love. Jordan Love is my QB6. We'll talk about him next. But now he's fallen from the Easton Fromm tier for me, which I think Fromm stays in school. So now he's now in the Jordan Love Nate Stanley tier. Um, he's he's athletic. He's an incredible leader. He's got decent arm strength. Um, but he's again quick one read quarterback. Not great footwork. He seems to buckle under pressure. It's just how it goes. He did the same at Alabama, couldn't perform in the college football playoff, got benched for Tua. Same thing at Oklahoma. He got benched in the college football playoff because they were getting blown out by 40. I mean, so the clutch genius isn't really there for him. He's got incredible locker room leadership. He's got good, he's a high character guy. Um, But he's he just doesn't have the if factor. Um, 
he's not a used to a pro style system. He's again where one read quarterback doesn't go through progressions, doesn't read defenses. And he played in the Big 12 this past year, so all of his numbers were inflated because of bad defense. We show we we proved that Oklahoma was supposed to be the fourth ranked team in the country, and they got blown out by 30 on national television to LSU. So what does that say about the rest of the Big 12 defenses? If Oklahoma was the supposedly the best team out of that conference and was getting blown out the building, it he doesn't have great accuracy. He doesn't place the ball to his receiver in stride. He's a very rough quarterback to look at. And I know someone's going to draft him they're going to fall in love with his his athletic ability, his leadership, and they're going to want to bring him in. But I, it's just I don't see it with Jalen Hurts. Um, like I said I, I liked the athletic ability. The arm strength was pretty good. But there's just something about him that just rubs me the wrong way, and I just don't want him as my quarterback. I, I just don't want it. I said it could just be personal preference for me personally, but it's just it's not my he's not my guy. I'd rather either like I said, I'd rather wait and take Nate Stanley around later or, you know, take a from or Eason earlier. Jordan Love, he comes in at number six. Jordan Love is the most polarizing prospect this year at the quarterback position. He's a lot similar to I'm not saying skill set wise, but similar to what Daniel Jones and Josh Allen both were. Guys that rose late because of traits that people thought that they can untap, and a lot of teams kind of ignored the uh, the downside to him. For perspective, Daniel Jones was my QB seven last year, and Josh Allen, who was drafted, was my QB six or QB five. Excuse me, he's my QB five. So I mean, Jordan Love, six four, two twenty five, big, strong arm kid really athletic um he's got good mechanics as far as he's got good release point he like I said he's got probably the strongest and best arm talent in this entire class the issue severe inconsistent accuracy issues cannot read coverages on the defensive side of the ball struggles in that play I mean he's severely regressed this year doesn't have incredible field vision. Not very good in recognizing pass rush or mixed coverage packages on the defensive side of the ball. Throws a lot of bad throws as far as he wants to make the big play every time. He's going to be super aggressive and it's going to cause a mistake. I'm not denying his talent as far as traits and upside, like I said, you've got a big-armed kid that's athletic and can throw the ball 70 yards downfield, no problem. He's going to be a guy that teams are going to fall in love with. But just like Jalen Hurts, it's just not my thing. I just see too much of a risk for him if he doesn't develop. Um, and he's someone that I just, again, I would just stay away from. I understand why he is looked at the way he's looked at. Again, big, strong arm, athletic mechanically he's pretty good footwork can be worked on a little bit but it's not horrible right he's he's got the arm arm mechanics down he's got pretty good body control it's just the inconsistent accuracy the bonehead poor decisions it's just it's not my thing for me 
QB5 is Jake Fromm. Um, Jake Fromm, I came into the year with high expectations for. I absolutely loved Jake Fromm. I thought he was you know, smart, accurate passer with decent arm strength and decent athletic ability. Nothing too fancy. He reminded me a lot of Alex Smith, a safe quarterback. Came in this year and was really bad. He was bad. Like I said, you can, I'm reading my notes right here. He is a smart quarterback, except he wasn't this year. He makes a lot of mistakes this year. He's not going to turn the ball over a ton. He just he'll make these throws that just make zero sense. Um, what do I like? Well, he's accurate for the most part. For the most part, he's a severely good, accurate quarterback. He's very accurate when his mechanics are right. Um, he's got a good drop back. He his footwork is really well, and again, he's in a pro style, pro type offense. Um, doesn't have the best arm. It's average to below average at best. Um, he, oftentimes I I was watching Georgia and I would see him go deep and Cager would have to stop and, you know, middle of the field and take a 50-50 ball when he should have just been caught in stride downfield. He's very good at reading coverages though, which I think is something that a lot of quarterbacks don't have. He takes what the defense is giving him and won't take any unnecessary risks, which I think is what I like about him more than I like Love or an Anthony Gordon, is that he's not going to take that risk. He's just going to take what he's given to him. Um, But the inconsistencies this year, as far as mechanics and um, accuracy, I mean, he'd have... Excuse me. Long day. Too much film to watch, I swear. He'll have these games where he'll just completely miss a screen pass, completely overthrow a screen pass. But then he'll have these other games where he'll, you know, go 20-22 passing. Um, He's someone that I think needs to go back to school, develop, and then he'll be in the class with Lawrence and Fields. Um, I think that would be the smartest thing for him as far as developing strength in his upper body, developing consistent arm mechanics, consistent body control. It's just something that he needs to go back and work on, I think. If he's if he's declares now, he's going to be he's going to be a second round quarterback. He comes back to school, he'll be a first round quarterback next year. So I think he stays. I truly do. I don't think he's gonna declare, um, but it's something to keep an eye on. To say the least. Um, Moving on to QB4. That's Jacob Eason. Um, Jacob Eason was the most. Other than Joe Burrow. Was the most fun film I watched. Big time arm. Big time athleticism. The issue is. Similar to Jordan Love. He makes these really dumb mistakes. Uh, I remember watching. A game. He threw this pass down the sideline in triple coverage. They were they were driving. They were inside, I think, the 20 or 30. Throws the ball to a receiver. Who's triple covered? It gets returned 20, 30 yards the opposite direction. Um, what I do like about him, really good zip, really good arm strength. Um, big, big guy, 6'6", 227. Excuse me. 
He has operated from both under center and shotgun, which again, if you can find a quarterback that has run similar, I don't want to say similar to a pro-style system because Washington doesn't necessarily run a pro-style system, um, but if you can have a quarterback that's comfortable taking snaps under center, that is a step in the right direction. The issue is... He will have way too much confidence in his arm, completely overthrow guys, and is inconsistent with his placement. Um, Decision making is really bad. He can't fit the ball into a tight window, even though he tries to. Um, And then he obviously, he needs, one thing I notice is when I'm watching this all 22 tape, I'm watching his eyes and watching what the defense is doing. The defenses can read exactly where he's throwing because he does, he can't manipulate the defense with his eyes and the way he looks. He stares down the direction he's going. Defenses can read it and change their coverages accordingly to what he's doing. So I just think his upside is the highest out of any of these quarterbacks that are risk factor guys. Uh, Love, Hurts, Gordon. I think he's got the highest upside, but he also probably has the lowest floor because his inconsistencies are a lot more consistent. <laughs> Number three, Justin Herbert. This man came in highly touted. I mean, he was supposed to be quarterback one last year's class, came back for a senior season, and, well, he didn't live up to the hype a lot of times. He was inconsistent accuracy-wise. He didn't develop a ton. He's the same guy that would have came out last year, and last year he probably would have been a top ten pick. This year is still going to be a top 10 pick, but it's if Tua didn't get hurt, I'm not sure Herbert would have, would be elevated the way he's going to be elevated. Quick one-read thrower of the football, really good arm, ability to throw a ball in the tight throws when needed, big lengthy frame, um, he can run and pass, really athletic, I think he's at 6'6", 230. He has some durability concerns, he's been hurt a couple times. Um, collarbone, femur, shoulder, he's had some injuries. Um, but the same thing with all these other Oregon quarterbacks that I've had issues with, he's a quick one-read quarterback. He is somebody that, in Oregon system, will look at his first read, either zip the ball there and let them get out in open space, or he'll take off and run. He's got to be able to learn to, again, follow the progressions. It's not... And I know it might sound like I'm beating a dead horse here with all these quarterbacks saying, well, you just got to read your progressions, look downfield. But it really, really does help because as I mentioned with Eason, if you're not reading your progressions, if you're not going from number one to number two to number three to then running, defenses are going to figure you out because then what they're going to do is they're going to immediately take away your number one read and they're going to force you to look other places. And if you're not comfortable looking those other places, mistakes are going to happen. You're going to still try to force it to your first read, or you're going to take off and run, which is going to get you hurt. You've got to be able to manipulate your eyes from one side of the field and slowly work your way to the other side. For, you gotta, you've got to be able to look through from point A to point B to point C in about two to three seconds. As soon as you snap, you need to figure out where the coverage is going. Okay, so my coverage, my safety is going to be Go over the top and take away my first read. Let's move to the second read. Is the second read going to get taken by that linebacker? Yes. Okay. I got to go to the check down guy and get rid of the ball. 
You've got to be able to understand what is going on on the defensive side of the football, and that's why quarterback is so important, and that's why I grade it so hard, because it's these little, tiny instances where you're hesitant to throw, or you don't see something that changes the entire complexion of the game. Herbert, on a lot of his plays this year, and it's it shows because that's the way Oregon offenses worked, and it shows Mariota as he transitioned to the NFL. He's he's been the same quarterback. It's a lot of bubble screen, quick slants, get the receivers out in open field, and let them run. Herbert's got to be able to okay. I've got my X receivers running a go, my Y receivers running a slant. I've got my check down. He's going to do a check and release to the right side. Okay. First read, did he beat that corner? First step, yes or no? If he did, let's let's get him in space, right? Let's throw the ball over the top, give him separation ability. If he didn't, okay, quick read to the second. Is that linebacker going to come over the top and take him away? Or is he going to take my check down guy? You've got to be able to read these things. And I mentioned this with Dwayne Haskins before. You've got to be able to slow the game down. You've got to be able to take these instances that the defense is giving you and turn them into ways that you can use it against them. I saw a video on Twitter today of Carson Wentz against the Giants, and what he was able to do extremely well was manipulate linebackers with his eyes. Um, There was a play, Dan Orlovsky actually tweeted it out, there was a play where he had four receivers, to the left, to the right. It was actually two tight ends, two receivers. Um, But they were all lined up, the tight ends were lined up in the slot. And... He had a single high safety, two nickel corners, and two linebackers um, that were all showing, you know, they had the single high safety, and then the corners were playing press against the two receivers, and then your two linebackers were showing blitz. But Wentz knew that those linebackers were going to drop off into coverage, so what he did is he adjusted his play. He now has his two receivers running go routes and his two tight ends running seam routes. He was able to move the linebacker with his eyes. So he snapped the ball. The linebacker is following the tight end, right? Wentz looks towards the corner of the sideline where there's not even any of his receivers. The linebacker bites towards that sideline and it leaves Dallas Goddard wide open down the middle of the field because his linebacker bit because of the way he moved him with his eyes. Herbert's got to be able to do that With his progressions, he's got to be able to be looking one way to open up the other side of the field or looking to try to make more plays than just a quick slant route or a quick, you know, one read. That is my major concern with him because he's got all the traits and all the tools. He's a trait guy. Um, But Matt Miller said it best from Bleach Report. This guy could cost someone their job because if he doesn't develop, he's going to be really bad. Moving on here to QB2. I had a lot to say about that one. Moving on to QB2. Tua, Tonga Viola. Um, the main risk with him is injury. Um, that's why he, he would be in QB2 regardless of the injury because of how good Joe, Joe Burrow's been. But the injury really separates him and Joe Burrow. He's got the accuracy. He's... Re- He's a one-read quarterback at times, but I saw a lot of tape where he was able to move and progress. Um, It just needs to be more consistently. Good arm. His deep ball is one of the most pretty things that I've ever seen. It's beautiful, just drops right in the bread basket for the receivers downfield, catches them in stride. It's gorgeous. 
He's got really good footwork. Again, the main concern with Tua is going to be the injury for him. And then number one, I don't need to go into too much detail about it. It's Joe Burrow, right? Super smart, super accurate, super athletic quarterback. Arm talent, upside. He's just the perfect prototype quarterback. Cincinnati's going to get themselves a winner in him. That is my quarterback rankings, guys. I hope you guys did enjoy it. Uh, That went a little bit longer than I thought, but I had a lot to say about a lot of different prospects. A lot of them, if you notice, have the same issues. Um, And a lot of rookie quarterbacks do. A lot of young prospects do. But again, if I don't highlight them, just because they all make and do the same thing doesn't mean it's the right thing and it's the right, you know, trait to have. I don't care if my top-rated quarterback did it. I would knock my top-rated quarterback for doing it the same way that I would knock my 19th-rated quarterback for doing it. So consistency is where what is needed when it is coming to grading quarterbacks. But let me know what you guys think. Do you guys have some players that are higher or lower than me? Um, like I said, nothing is completely finalized at this point. I'll be going more in-depth. The only thing that's really finalized, I think, are my top three being Burrow to a Herbert. Everyone else can change and fluctuate anywhere from 4 to 12. And like I said, there's some other guys outside the top 15, like Tyler Huntley, that could be on the rise as well. But like I said, hope you guys did enjoy it. If you did, go ahead and give it a five-star review and review down below in the comment section. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at JoshBerg0611 and the podcast at WNDraftPod. Go to Whole9Sports.com for all your latest scouting reports, mock drafts, rankings, and NFL articles. Follow Whole Nine Sports on Twitter at Whole9Sports. And until the next week's episode, look out for the draft log this week, and I will see you guys next one.